In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 33rd episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com. That's with two R's and two L's. Or you can go to the Voice America Business Channel, download the app, or feel free to listen to it on one of your your preferred places for listening to podcasts. If you missed last week's show, I interviewed Chrysandra Knight, Head of Sales Operations for Maersk Oceana. We discussed multiple partner mindset techniques. She's integrated into her life personally, professionally, as well as how becoming a parent has made her a better leader. And you can find that episode um, from last week on April 9th, so check that out. Today, my guest is Dr. (laughs) Polina. Okay, listeners, you should probably know that before uh, we hit record, um, Amy was getting a pronunciation lesson, and now I've completely screwed it up. Okay, so let's try it again. Dr. Bettina Palazzo. No, I didn't write. I did? I did write? So-so? Oh, you're being generous. (laughs) Palazzo. 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 Okay, good. Welcome, Bettina. (laughs) A pleasure to be here. (laughs) And Bettina, you and I were talking about when we spoke last week, how long has it been? We've known each other since at least 2003, we said, right? Yes, 2003. That was my first year in Lausanne, my first win conference. And I still have a very good memory of the first partner workshop I did with you there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bettina, I want to tell the listeners a bit about you and give their, your background so they know what to mm-hmm. give, you, give them an idea of what we're going to be talking about today. Great. So Bettina stumbled on the topic of business ethics in the early 90s, soon discovered it to be such a rich and exciting topic that she never, she never stopped doing anything else, at least not professionally. Now, she did manage to suffer through the cumbersome yet rewarding effort of getting her head around the philosophical and the economical foundations of business ethics to the point at which she won a prize for her PhD thesis and then rode off into the sunset to join KPMG. There, she helped to build their business ethics consulting services, which was, I would imagine, tough pioneering work at the time. Yeah. Definitely. Then after a short detour into a strategic management consulting, she returned to her true passion and started her own business ethics advisory. Bettina, what year was that? That was, in two, that was when we came to Lausanne in 2003. Oh, okay. So it's already yes. been about 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years, Bettina has learned that you cannot press ethics into checklists and processes and that unethical companies make unhappy people. Her desire to create corporate cultures that make work fun and meaningful instead of dreadful and depressing drives everything she does. Well, that is music to my ears, Bettina. Fun and yes. meaningful. Yes. 
as I said, we are more or less have the same idea here because your ideas about partnering communication goes in the right direction. And this is kind of the, the glue and the grease to make this happen, to have fun and meaningful work. That is so true. Well mm -hmm. said. Now, drawn from over 25 years of experience as a researcher, consultant, lecturer in business ethics, Bettina now advises companies and nonprofits that want to take care of the leadership and the cultural dimension of compliance. In recent years, she developed a special focus on the creation of a speak-up culture and ethical leadership. Oh, boy. That's, I want to see if – I don't know if we, I can devise a question for you around that, though. Let's make sure we talk about that speak-up culture. I think that will be very interesting for listeners. Yeah. In recent years, Bettina developed a special, oh, I said that already. In her <laughs> free time, Bettina's written a blog about her city of the heart, Rome, and dances salsa. She met her husband, Guido, at a business ethics conference, and they have two almost grown sons. Bettina is a particularly, this is for, for me, a particularly exciting conversation, um, like you said, we agree that we have so many interesting intersections between our work. In fact, one of my favorite quotes of yours is, we have been badly prepared in life for dealing with conflicts and ethical dilemmas. Right. <laughs> yeah. You should have it in school already. Right? Yes. There's so many make... things we yeah. kids would benefit from, that being one of them. Yes, okay, yeah. go ahead. Yes, because it used to depend more on power structures who decided. It's the same in, in so many things. In companies, it used to you, you, you had to do what the boss says, and there was no conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. My way or the highway. Yeah. The same in marriage. So it used to be the guy who decides. Yeah. And ever since we lost this kind of uh, false certainty, mm -hmm. uh, we, we need different tools and they're all out there, but people learn them too late in, in life. And mm -hmm. yeah, so many uh, unhappy things happen because of this. It would be completely avoidable, I think. Yeah. If they knew how to have a partner community. Yeah, you're right. I hear that a lot. People are like, why don't we teach this in high school? <laughs> yes, because when, when we grew up, it, conflict was kind of like the end of the, the a menace to the relationship. But it's, it's the, the, um, almost the, the lifeblood of the relationship to have conflict and figure them out in a good way. And they can create uh, innovative things. And, but we are so hardwired to kind of... <gasps> dangerous uh, and, and I might be judged and uh, we, we, we fight and then we, we, we have to split up or my boss will fire me. Uh. Yeah. It, wouldn't it be fascinating if people could autumn, translate the, oh, conflict is coming. This is exciting. What will we discover? Or, oh, conflict is coming. I wonder what new solution we can uh, um, yes. create together. Yes, it's also understandable because it uh, it probably comes from our, the oldest parts of our brain where conflict had kind of the danger you might be kicked out of the community and right. then you're out on your own in the savannah and the lions will come to get you. Right. So that's or, why this is... Well, well, let's look at it for women because it's... <gasps> 
um, I was reading an article a few years ago was saying that women use the strategy of perfection and avoiding criticism because it was only 30 or 50 years ago that we only started earning our own money because you're correct. Before then, we could have been kicked out and that would have meant near death. Um, so we we're only now getting brave enough to be able to say, no, it's OK for me to assert myself and and challenge the situation here, ask for what I want or push back. Yeah, that's a very important point, especially for women. And I have been asking myself this a lot. Why is it so much that we have this drive for perfectionism? And why is it that criticism or negative feedback uh, kind of cuts us to the bone? And yeah. It's not possible. It's normal. And if you do important stuff, you can't have only people who love it because Uh, it it has to be polarizing. And then I, I uh, discovered Tara Moore. She wrote a great book. It's called Playing Big. And she explained what you just said, that uh, we still have this in our bones that over centuries, our very livelihood depended on pleasing somebody. Yep. And if somebody said something negative about us, all of our, our radar was in kind of full red flag, like, well, well, Henry V, and you might lose your head, yes? Uh, virtually a mortal consequences could have right. come of this if you not if you didn't so conform. What is popping into my mind now is that as societies develop, I'm assuming we're able to become more ethical. As a result that, you know, like for, you know, women, we have more choices, we can push back more. So there's a higher probability that we can help to create more ethical environments within our family, within uh, business, because we are be starting to have a voice at the table, so to speak. Yes, and it's also more difficult because in former times, ethics was kind of handed down by the power structure, by the church, by the king. And this When this left, now we have to figure it out amongst ourselves. And mm -hmm. and here again, we are in conflict because uh, humans have different ideas of what should be the ethical thing to do in certain situations. Should you look, should you have a certain principle like... Um, uh, certain moral limits, things that you would say are always bad, like lying, let's take lying or stealing. Mm -hmm. So that would be one uh, important strand of ethical uh, thinking where you say, okay, these are the principles and they are always true and I would not even lie if a murder comes to my door and asks for my friend that I'm hiding. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. Famous scene in Glorious Bastards, you might remember that one. Mm -hmm. And or do we look at the results? And uh, because of obviously the crazy ex murderer would kill my friend, I say no. Who is this person? And you you lie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's uh, that. Of course, these are kind of um, uh, models to think about this. They don't necessarily give you always the right answer, but they give you some tools to dig a little bit deeper and find your own path in this. And, and this is one problem why people are often kind of uncomfortable with ethics mm -hmm. because they always think you have to be 
uh, morally perfect and you're only then an ethical being if you always are like a saint and it's, mm. and it's sacrifice. And that, that's not necessarily the case because there are not always perfect solutions. There might be situations where you have to violate one of your values no matter how you decide, but at least uh-huh. have thought it through. And then you can say, yes, um, well, let's, uh, if I'm a company and I'm work, I, I have factories in Ethiopia or Bangladesh and I have problems with child labor there. If I would say no child labor is absolutely no go. And if I discover just one, uh, 14 year old in this factory i'm out of the place and then the place goes bankrupt because you don't have them yeah so this can if you don't look at the results at all this can also have bad consequences if you are too um kantian so can't set these kind of ideas where you only look at your duty so when i hear Mm. you say all that i think it really is a nice introduction to the complexity of ethics and that it's not cut and dry, it's not black and white, and that perhaps um, back in the good old days when it was just the king or the church who was setting the direction and the decision-making, perhaps it was far more simplistic. Now we have an opportunity, as more voices are being heard, to um, see if we can make it more fair for more people. Yeah. Got it. So. Yeah. Something that we just touched on right at the beginning for a quick minute was around power and status. And you know that's an area that I'm fascinated by. So here's a question for you. How mm-hmm. can power work against ethics? Yes, power is actually a very dangerous ethics buster because especially to know today we have all this rich research on what power does to your brain and they even put people into MRIs and they could see what kind of areas light up and uh, they could find out also all kinds of behavioral experiments that the more power people have the more there is the, the kind of the, the brain gets this power high which can result into not so ethically problematic behavior like loss of empathy yeah uh, impulsive almost behavior. immediately right the loss yes. of empathy can happen as yes. soon as they join that power right group. A uh, sense of entitlement. They, they did a very fun exercise there where they uh, had a group of people and they had to share brownies. And depending, but then so they had different setups. And in one setup, one person was suddenly the boss. And just because he or she suddenly was the boss, she took more of the brownies. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I would have taken more of the brownies no matter what level I was at. <laughs> <laughs> of course you don't. <laughs> I would have just distracted everyone. If <laughs> oh, yeah. So in a sense yes. of entitlement. Mm. Yes, yes. And and that's difficult to, to handle because it uh, power and confidence comes with leadership. If you don't... Uh, communicate what you want and where you want people or want people guide to or have this common vision say so this is how we do it then it's also hard to follow you just say like oh maybe i might have this idea i'm not sure if it's working <laughs> that doesn't really work so well but if 
if you are in this habit of being confident, it's very easy that you become overconfident. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about ethics is also, ethics is also a little bit of a subversive exercise, is that you have some doubts or that you listen to people who might have a different perspective. Well, and that I think is starting to lead me to my next question is what can we do about this tendency to um, misbehave when we have the power behind mm -hmm. us? Well, yes, of course, as a, as a leader yourself, if you're in a power position, you should try to be self-conscious and self-aware about this. But this can be hard but it, because it might be stronger than you. So what you can do is sometimes go into places where you're not powerful. There's a great mm -hmm. story about, I don't remember his name, this guy from Avis, and he went to work at the counter of the car rental once a week just mm -hmm. to stay, and that people possibly didn't recognize that he was the CEO, but he just did the everyday work of a normal clerk there. Fantastic. So that keeps, can, people, can keep people grounded. Then, of course, you can... You have certain structures in organization that gives them some checks and balances. So yeah. let me add one. Tell mm -hmm. me what you think. So I have two questions. I, when I'm working with my leaders, I say, these are the two questions you want to ask people on a regular basis, meaning minimum once a month. And not just the people in your professional life. You could ask your spouse, your teenager, your in-laws. And the first question is, <laughs> that would be a brave person. That would never be. <laughs> what do you need to tell? Oh, no, no. The first one is, how can I be a better boss, neighbor, wife, husband, dad, mom, whatever? Yeah. Okay. That's the easy question. Mm -hmm. The second question is, what do you need to tell me that you don't want to tell me? Yeah. No, and the thing is, with yeah. a subordinate, they're going to say, oh, Nothing. And you're going to ask them again, they're going to say mm, nothing. And then you're going to ask them again, you know, meaning every couple of weeks. And maybe if you're really lucky that third time, they might tell you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Though, and then I would, I advise people don't get defensive. Don't disagree with them. Just say, thanks for telling me that I'm going to consider it. I'll think about it and I'll come back to you. Let you know my decision. Yeah, that's brilliant, Amy, because that's kind of the most potent antidote to the power high that you have a culture of speak up. And that, again, is something we've never learned. We learned from an early age that you shouldn't uh, tell people the brutal truth. Yeah, I remember when I was taking the train with my son. He was three years old back then. And we were in the train. And he talked to, he's very extroverted. He talked to everybody. And there was this very big lady. And my little four-year-old Emilio, he stood in front of this lady and he asked, why are you so fat? Okay. <laughs> so this is the moment when you learn it's not okay to give this kind of brutal feedback. Ouch. But it doesn't have to be that way. And she took it nicely. She understood mm, it's a kid. Nice. Yes. But uh, this, is, this is just how... We, we've learned how to deal with uh, saying people unpleasant stuff. Yes. We avoid it. We avoid it uh, very, very much. Or if we don't see uh, any, if we can't take it anymore, we act it out and then it, it can be very, it can be quite destructive. So oh, we, gosh, yes. We, yes. So we, we need to find ways how we can do this in a constructive way, 
uh, with your methods, like giving the other the opportunity and showing again and again that you are serious about receiving this kind of feedback, that the other person will not be punished. Yes. Uh, th that's key. But that's also a challenge if you receive this kind of feedback to not become defensive. Do you have uh, insights there? How What do you tell your leaders that helps them to not become defensive? Because it can be stronger than you, right? Yeah. I mm -hmm. get them to practice keeping their lips closed and nodding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a paper clip if they have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I see. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. And then active listening. So, Bettina, if I understand correctly, mm -hmm. what you're saying is mm -hmm. that I become really sarcastic in meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to think about that, and I'll come back to you and let you know if I decide to change anything. Thank mm -hmm, you for letting mm -hmm. me know. Because it's important that if you're going to be brave enough to tell me something, we you're probably assuming, oh, Amy's going to change something. And I'm not telling people you have to change something. I'm saying absorb it. Don't get defensive. Even if you go, you know, take it out on a punching bag or for a long run, mm -hmm. absorb it reflect on it, give it a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. And then go, I might say, come back and say, Bettina, I thought about the feedback you gave me a couple of weeks ago about being sarcastic. And um, I think what I'll do in the future is when I realize I'm being sarcastic is um, I'll announce it, you know, okay. because I, I, mm -hmm. I, my intention is to be playful and, and, and positive. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. Bettina, um, if I do it again and in a way that doesn't work, would you be willing to speak up to me again another time and let me know? Yeah, that's so important because it, it's not this just one moment because these kinds of situations have a compound effect. Right. And it, it lasts forever with that person because if you uh, leash out against them, they will Lash never out. speak mm -hmm. up again. Yep. Plus, they will tell all their friends and colleagues. Oh, yeah. And all of them will never speak up again. Nope. Yes. Exactly. So, this is something with, that uh, leaders often don't understand uh, that they are under constant observation yes. when it comes to speak up. Yes. Yeah. It's not and fair and it's just the way it is and it comes with the title. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, th that's true. It's. Uh, uh, And it takes practice to remember that because, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well said. <laughs> so uh, now here I have this question. No, yeah. not, I hope this will not offend you. Um, <laughs> ethics to me can sometimes sound like brown rice and Brussels sprouts. No, not my favorite <laughs> dish. <laughs> How can we make ethics more attractive? Yes, I, I keep keep wondering where does it come from that ethics has this kind of boring and kind of even scary and in any event not very attractive image. And I think it's because uh, because it's strange because we all want to be ethical beings. It's very important to us to feel good and wonderful about ourselves. Yeah. And and but because if somebody. Uh, kind of hints that we might not be ethical. That's super scary. It's, there's a fancy term for it. It's called um, ah, moral identity threat. Yeah, moral so it's, it's like a threat. threat. Yes? Sure. And you instantly become defensive. So that's mm -hmm. why. And so this fear of judgment in general, and then 
and and then this gets coupled with this idea it always has to be perfect you're not ethical if you're not pristine angel like which nobody expects of other areas in life yes uh, you you would never expect um an hr manager to always be perfect but in mm -hmm. ethics it's different yeah you, you have, mm -hmm. they have this very high standard Uh, what else? So it's a moral identity threat. It's this uh, idea that you lose something. It's a little bit like in conflict, also with ethical problems. Why not turn it into an idea for an innovation? And so we, we have several um, examples out there. Like now there's this new app, Too Good To Go, where you can buy very cheap uh, food, to fight food waste. So there's a restaurant and they would need to throw it away, but you can go uh, with the logistics of this app and buy it for a cheap uh, price. So, that, 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 so they took an ethical challenge and turned it into a business idea. Wow. Yeah, you see that it's possible and we need to do this more often. Like you said, oh, a conflict. What will we learn? What can we do with yeah. this? Yeah. Oh, an ethical problem. Uh, Yeah, it's like uh, a new resource, maybe. Even. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. So um, we're going to take a break in a few minutes. So before we do, I'd like to move into the topic of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And what are things that tend to get overlooked in current discussions? And I, uh, and then we'll we might have to pause halfway through and we'll come back and revisit it after the break. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, that's another one of my passion topics. And it is um, too much seen as a women's topic, which mm -hmm. is in reality, it is not. Uh, we, we have the problem with it, but uh, we are not doing it. And companies uh, underestimate the topic and they always think, oh, they're just, we have some cases. This got mm, challenged with the Me Too movement at the latest. And they're more in this kind of protective mode now. So how can we do that? It doesn't become public. But I think the big chance that companies could have to take it out of the taboo zone and put it into the opportunity zone, again, like with ethics, because uh, at at um, at its core, sexual harassment is about power games. Okay. And All companies today want to deal differently with power. They all want to empower their, their employees. They all want to be agile. But uh, you can't empower your employees if uh, half of your uh, company population has to be scared of being harassed. So it's... Uh, it's so that we have to twist it around and think about it as how can we create a workplace of respect for everyone? Because... Yes. So I'll pause you there. Yeah. Um, so hold that thought. And then we're going to take a break now. Now, if mm -hmm. listeners, you want to connect and find out more about Bettina, you can go to her Twitter, Bettina Palazzo. Yay! Yes. And that's B-E-T-T-I-N-A-P-A-L-A-Z-Z-O. And she also has, uh, you can find that with the using the same name on, name on her LinkedIn or her Facebook page, which is Palazzo Ethics Advisory. When we come back from the break, we're going to be hearing more from Bettina. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to future-proof your business. 
Join host Bonnie D. Graham for the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. SAP Solutions help you transform your business, and we'll start by going in-depth with topics and guests built around the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise, clean, intelligent, inclusive, and responsive. Move in to the next level with the Kinetic Enterprise, presented by Deloitte, live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Partner Up with Amy Carroll focuses on getting more of what you want and need more easily with less difficulty. While this applies to business, it can be used for just about everything, from relationships to leadership. You'll hear stories and tips to uplevel your communication and mindset, to gain confidence and inspire action by making your partner look good, conflicts dissolve and results improve. Partner Up with Amy Carroll is heard every Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on Voice America Business. Today, we are part of an ever-changing mix of technological advances and business trends that redefine how we work, ongoing performance, and our world around us. Tune into Humanity Evolve with host Catherine Calarco. It's an open discussion about these trends and advances that come together to create a positive future for you your family, and your world. Humanity Evolve can be heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. My guest today is Dr. Bettina Palazzo. We've been discussing how power impacts ethics and how we can make ethics more attractive. And now we've been moving into the area of sexual harassment. So Bettina, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yes, like in ethics, also sexual harassment is in this kind of uncomfortable zone. And it's my mission to get it out of there because it doesn't really belong there because uh, if we create workplaces where this, this doesn't happen, it will be good for everyone. Uh, at the same time, you can't really say, oh, we are a 
we are an ethical company or we are we are empowering our uh, co-workers if you have this problem in your organization. And since it's a structural problem, if you don't check on it, chances are that you have the problem. And Ooh. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, because it's so much linked to power. How do you check on it? Well, you just ask some women. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> okay. It's not like you have to buy some expensive assessment tool. <laughs> well, of course, you need to kind of create a safe space where, pe where women can speak up. But usually right. this is a topic that's painful for women. And if, you, if they get the safe space where they can talk about it, they will probably take it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's popping up all over. And so, so it, and it, it's difficult for companies to do something about it if they already have a scandal. You know, right. Repairing trust and the, the, the legal trouble. It's, it's really expensive. So mm. I really advise companies, do something now, do it. It's, it's like with couple ther therapy. It always mm. comes too late. Yeah. In many yes. cases. Yes. yes. So that's so why true. very often doesn't work because you kind of deny it or no, we don't have a problem. It's mm -hmm. just we, we mm -hmm. work too much or whatever. I, and, I'm a, so let's see if we can come up with a, a solution because I'm a big fan of giving thera couples therapy uh, coupons as a wedding gift to newly married couples. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> well, so, you know, uh, for companies, it's. It, proactively, that's what I'm hearing, right. proactively search out yes. potential problems. Yes, yes, uh, do it proactively and it will save your trouble later. Mm. Of course, I mean, they always are busy. They're always kind of discounting on the future and hope that it won't happen uh, at their place. And especially if you have a on, only male leadership team, they don't often don't get the problem. Yeah. Yes, because they've never been harassed. And so right. they say, <laughs> can't possibly imagine that it exists. Yeah. Right. So I've, I've heard of one company where uh, the HR department did something very smart. They gathered cases from their female co-workers and then they let them uh, um, speak these cases, they, they tell the stories by some actors and they showed the seven-minute video to the executive team. Oh, fascinating. So their identities were protected, except their messages were right. communicated directly to the executive team. Mm. So that way, that was very powerful. So they could say, so this is happening in our organization. Mm. Would you want this to see on Twitter? No. So let's do something about it. <laughs> you can this. see it in this boardroom and do something about it. Or... <laughs> You know, um, I want to come back to the thing about mm -hmm. sexual harassment in a minute, though mm -hmm. something's popping up into my mind. I'm in the middle of listening to this audio book. Um, there, there's a comedian in the States. Her name is Amber Ruffin. She's mm -hmm. um, on the late show with Seth Meyers. And she and her sister have just written a book called You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey. And it's her sister is Lacey. She's Amber. And the subtitle is Crazy Stories About Racism. Oh. And because Amber is a comedian and because she and Lacey had this great relationship and they love to find the humor as a way, I think almost as a, a survival tool, um, they've written true scenarios of things that have happened to Lacey on a weekly basis. 
it's not even, you know, the entire book, which has many, 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 many examples, is not um, an exhausted list either. And a lot of the stuff is business, HR, just things you, you, you know, especially as a white person hearing it, you can't imagine for a minute that this would be tolerated. And this is, you know, this woman's life. Oh. And it's only her life because she happens to be a woman of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, she, she's a smart, intelligent, um, respectful and respected person. And yet she puts up with this constantly. So mm-hmm. I wonder if one of the strategies is, you know, the ra- I think that they're doing a great job for raising awareness of racism by using the humor and the lightness and making it tolerable and manageable for people to hear it and digest it. And because once you hear it and digest it, you can't go back to your same level of ignorance. So, you know, I suspect there's probably things out there around uh, sexual harassment. I don't know for sure, though. I think that Amber and Lacey have done an, an extraordinary job of making this these unacceptable um, scenarios uh, a, able for people to people of color or not, not people of color, um, people who are in privilege, often a lot of white people to be able to digest this stuff. So I mm-hmm. can highly recommend that book. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. No, I think the, the, the power of storytelling is very good here. And very often these stories are kind of absurd. Yes, yes, of course. But uh, if you happen to be, a white male or somebody else who was privileged, you just don't can imagine what these things are or you have some idea and then you might put it off and say, oh, these are just tiny little obstacles. But the thing is, it's like being in a room full of mosquitoes all of your time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're tiny, but they, if it happens all the time, it really gets to right. you. Right. Mm. So going back to the thing around sexual harassment, what are some things women can to do to defend themselves without being seen or perceived as aggressive and unlikable? Mm-hmm. I think there's a big need for this because in general, what I'm observing is that women, especially younger women, when I was starting my career the same, they just don't, they just don't see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is just be prepared And have something simple, like some clever phrases like, can we keep this professional, please? Mm. Yes. And, and, mm. and uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, one of the things I do regularly, a tool I use is role play. So right. I would say these young women need to role play in advance because their brains might, you know, shut down or freeze. Completely. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So being prepared, having some kind of uh, scripting in in your toolbox, uh, knowing how to stay centered because it's it's very stressful as a situation. Mm-hmm. Knowing your partnering stuff that you re- that you, that you also reframe the intention of your adversary. So just don't think, oh, this is just a. Uh, a, a very aggressive macho warrior uh, just ask him oh are you not feeling well today can, can is there something I can do to help you not having such a bad day mm-hmm. and just twist it around mm-hmm. and, uh, and something tell me what you think about this one mm-hmm. I would encourage women of all ages though I love how you talk about young women to get them ready is the phrase 
you know, literally practice either, you know, put on your Zoom and record yourself and practice in looking into the camera or in the mirror or your, mm. your smartphone and film yourself because you need to see what your face looks like. Right. What, you would, what I recommend is they say this, you know, so let's say some guy says something inappropriate or does something inappropriate. And you say, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. And so you say it with direct eye contact, yeah. nice and slow with that downward inflection at the mm-hmm. end. And then they're going to do, oh, do you having a bad day? Are you in a bad mood? And then you, you just do what I call the broken record approach. Steve, that doesn't work for me. Mm. And yeah. you just slow and calm. So Steve's like, oh, shit, I should probably stop this. So Steve gets the message loud and clear. And you haven't gone to an extreme of tears or threats or screaming that can end up causing you more problems. Right. And it's often not only, it's probably not even important what you say, but, but like how you say it, that you look at them in the eye and you're not like, like a kind of twisted, you're not yep. tilting, your no tilting your head. You got it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Never. But, but that's important because sometimes, yep. I mean, it can happen without you noticing. <laughs> Where did it, how did it get here? Yes. Yeah. Right. So like the filming part is important. For yeah. That. That's why the filming part is important. And I recently, I haven't tried that out, heard that if you just do this you do the direct eject you say your phrase and then you just look the other way and continue what you did so far yes because that way uh, it doesn't escalate you you signal yes. thing i put down my foot I, de- i dare you to say another word and yeah. now let's go back to business yeah no hard feelings yep but don't do this again that's good bettina <laughs> because that turn that that delivering line that doesn't work for me so let's look at the report. You know, so it's like the yeah. turning away. Um, what I've just communicated is this conversation is over. Right. And I'm also not doing an eye stare contest where um, like two dogs where there's um, it's as if I'm going to challenge you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. really good point. Because this is kind of also the playful thing, because um, sometimes they just want to test you and see uh what your limits are and if yeah, you, yeah it's, it's it, I mean I have two boys I know <laughs> they, they when they were little they always had to kind of measure their forces it's uh, mm-hmm. men uh, there is this great book by Deborah Tannen on uh, different communication styles of male and female and that men are always thinking status and if they don't know where they are in the status they feel uncomfortable mm. so they're testing you to find out where they where they are mm-hmm. in the in the letter and what yeah and Deborah Tannen you, do you know the title of the book by chance it's um Uh, I haven't said that she has has written several books. I think it's Men and Women at Work. Good. Deborah Tannen. She's a a psycholinguist and it's really uh, very important stuff that she does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I cut you off. Were you going to say something else? Because otherwise I want to throw another question at you. That's good. Okay. (laughs) So here's my next question. What triggers people to make poor ethical choices? Yes, we traditionally have this thinking that it's because they're bad people and they have a bad character. <laughs> but, but if you look at recent corporate scandals, we often find that they are quite normal people. They were just under a lot of pressure, mm. time pressure, performance pressure, uh, fear. Yeah, We have often in companies, they tend to create cultures of fear out of this with incentive systems, for instance. So one 
a picture book case for this was with Wells Fargo way where they created this crazy incentive system that was called aid is great because they had the employees were incited uh, to, to sell at least eight products to every client. And that, that's hard to do. And so the, they had to deliver the numbers four times a day. Uh, and the, the, the stress and the pressure, pressure was enormous. So what did they do? They tried to survive in the system and they started to fake clients' signatures. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And uh, the, in the beginning, the CEO tried to kind of push it down the line and say, no, I didn't know that. I didn't intend that. But he was then fired and he also had to pay back some of his bonus. So that was a good sign. But it, it's highly unlikable that you have 5,000 employees that are suddenly turning criminals. It is always something that pushes them mm-hmm. to do that. Yes. So there were over 5,000 employees doing that? Yep. <gasps> Holy smokes. Yeah. That, that, there's so in a way... I'm also guessing there's a, a cultural uh, peer pressure if everyone else is doing it, then somehow you almost think that you're crazy or wrong to not be doing that. Yes, peer pressure thing. plays a role and then it becomes a routine and everybody's doing it. And it becomes uh, normal. Yeah. Mm. So, um, and and there, there were some, some whistleblowers who spoke up and but they got fired. So, and of course people observe that and then they will never say anything anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do you help people to transform from unethical to ethical? Well, I I think we need to get away from this. uh, First of all, for, for the leadership to realize how they are creating this kind of contexts and what they can do about it to not do it. Like now, uh, one thing I think companies should look at in the Corona crisis is do some ethical um, look into the future because they can't keep something like, for instance, sales figures that they were agreed on before the crisis. And many salespeople probably can't keep these numbers up. But if you have a fixed number and your bonus depends on it, then the temptations to cut corner gets higher. So here, um, uh, companies should be more aware how they create these climates, what they can do uh, to avoid this kind of climate, how they can create a culture of speak up, but this is possible where I can go to my boss. Hey, look, we have, we still have these sales number from 2000, from 2020 January. This is no longer realistic. Uh, let's do something about it right. without being, uh, yeah, risking uh, punishment or, um, yeah, being seen as not a motivated all in employee. Mm. Right. You know, when we were talking a few weeks ago, something you said to me, um, I found fascinating. When people are in the midst of having to make ethical decisions, Mm -hmm. you said just taking three minutes to make that decision increases the likelihood that someone's going to make an ethical choice versus an unethical choice today. Yeah. Do I remember that right? Yeah, yeah. There was some research done on this. And because it's understandable because our default uh, instant fast decision is survival. So that's more, right. uh, that's self-interest. Yes. Uh, but the self-interest can 
but sometimes I even harm my self-interest because uh, I end up getting in, in bad trouble. But if I think a little bit longer on the long-term consequences, on the consequences of on other people, then I might realize, oh, it's not really so much in my self-interest acting that way. It's just this instinct, gut decision that's not mm-hmm. always the right one in ethics. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're slowing down the process to avoid that impulse yeah. choice. Okay. Yeah. So Bettina, we're going to have to, we're wrapping up soon, though I know you have a nice, long, juicy call for action <laughs> for listeners. And I want to give you some time to walk through that. Yes, I appreciate that. So to, to, Put it all in a nutshell, for me, it's really important to build this ethical competency. It's not something where we are all born ethical creatures. We all have an ethical sense. It's something already 2,000 years ago Aristotle said, but he also said we need to practice it. So we need to build our ethical muscle. So uh, and there are three things I recommend as a consistent practice because uh, like in the gym, it's consistency that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And the first one is being prepared. Like in many jobs or many situations that you uh, that you have in your life context, there are certain ethical conflicts that are more or less like come with the job more or less. If you are working in sales, then conflicts of interest might be something that keeps coming up. If you're working in purchasing. Uh, so the suppliers would like to bribe you to be have uh, preferential treatment, and then uh, well, very often in my in my corporate trainings, people tell you, "Well, if I get this uh, dinner invitation from uh, a potential supplier, that doesn't influence me." But it's not true because we have we are hardwired for reciprocity, and if we receive something, we want to give back, even though if we tell ourselves, "No, I'm." very uh, neutral here, uh, even if it's uh, small things. So, and, and then it's difficult. How, how do you say no in this kind of situation in a way that doesn't completely offend the other side, but tells them, no, I won't do this. This is not possible. Thank you very much. So being prepared. Mm-hmm. And the second, we talked a lot about this already speaking up and that's not easy from both sides. How do you speak up to power without pushing them into defensive mode? And how can you receive without becoming defensive? So there, I think uh, here your tools and the parting mindset can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you said with um, uh What's, what are the things you don't want to tell me and then constantly build the trust that you really, really want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is more something like for the heart, some emotional motivation that you have something like a moral hero that, uh, so, so that gives you some kind of more um, instant guidance, some kind of something to look up so, so one of my favorite moral heroes is Charlie Chaplin. He mm-hmm. was wildly successful, but still he was a dissident. I mean, they kicked him out of the States because of this. And he always talked truth to power, but in a way that was always full of humor and compassion. I think that's a, a very nice thing because uh, with all, 
Mm. There's always this danger that when we think we are morally right to put others down. Yeah, we always have yeah, to. Yeah, good of, yes, point. No? And that's just so you don't, you get tired of those people really fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. always kind of try to understand, do the active listening and don't tell, well, this is, this is unethical, but ask them, so why did you decide that way? Can you explain me? Have you thought about this? Yeah, so t tell yours, listen to their story first, and then you can tell your perspective and try to find common ground. And this is how you can create uh, much more sustainable solutions. Okay, so if I review what you, mm -hmm. the three points you made, one, be prepared. We heard that even earlier, too, about yeah. the sexual harassment that young women, when they enter the workforce, that to not be taken by surprise, be prepared in advance. Uh, the speak up culture to be brave and speak up and also to proactively to be the ethical leader, invite people to give you feedback that might be difficult to hear. And then having a moral hero, you know, um, when you said that last part, the moral hero, what popped into my mind is, you know, who is my moral hero? Mm. And I would say it's my sister, Pat. She has, F, you know, her standards are like through the roof. And so um, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is if it's not Charlie Chaplin, you know, mm -hmm. the, not my sister, find someone else in your life who you would hold as your moral hero and use the, uh, Kristen Pressner's approach of flip it to test it. So put yourself, if, you know, in my case, I'm in a situation and I say, what would my sister Pat do in this situation? And boy, that decision is shockingly much easier to make when I make it through her eyes. Yeah, it's uh, decide what's important in life and then it's much easier to decide. Yeah, mm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned an, a book earlier, uh, some, the author Tara, I think Yeah, Tara said. Moore. Tara M -O -H -R, Moore. H-R, and it's called Playing Big. Playing Big. It's a, it's a workbook and coaching book for women, how they can play a bigger role in their life and for society because she noticed there are all these she was coaching all these brilliant women and they kept holding themselves back and were afraid and or thought oh i first need to do three more phds yes <laughs> and and the men just jump in and 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 fake it till they make it which can also be a, a an admirable capacity so we need to uh, acknowledge more that we have already so much in us yeah and so i found that very inspiring this idea and i try to do this much more now <laughs> yeah gorgeous so um as we're wrapping up mm -hmm. i that would be my first call for action my second call for action for the listeners is send me your communication conundrums clashes challenges mishaps blunders and successes via email or through social media and I will collect them and then read them out on future shows and make suggestions. And you can send that to amy at carolcoaching.com. If you want to connect with Bettina, you can do that on her Twitter account or LinkedIn, Bettina Palazzo. No, I don't Palazzo. Know. Palazzo. Wow. I, I keep getting more and more creating. creative. <laughs> Bettina Palazzo, and then also Palazzo Ethics Advisory on Facebook to find out more. And uh, Bettina has lots of great resources, so feel free to check those out. Now, 
I also want to encourage listeners to tune in next week because with the help of my communications compadre, T, we're going to explore more challenges of dealing with conflict and success strategies to reach emotional mastery. Feel free to connect with me on my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. If you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, you can join me for one of my online leadership presence courses. And you can check out information about that on carolcoaching.com. Bettina, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.